Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Daffy's Roundtable. Um, today we're going to be talking about another really cool species um, that my friend here keeps and breeds. But first, a special thank you to Exoterra for sponsoring this show as always. Exoterra makes quality products for our pet reptiles to make them feel at home. Um, and another quick shout out to DZD's Herptiles, uh, dzdherptiles.ca if you're looking for isopods, springtails, anything bioactive, Go check them out, grab your stuff, and use the code DAFFY10 at checkout to get 10% off. Um, okay, moving on from that, um, let me introduce my lovely guest for the evening. This is Mrs. Avery Bins, Hello. also known as the Reptile Bin on Instagram. Um, Avery is another employee of Critter Jungle. <laughs> I'm just rolling them all through at this point. But uh, more than that, Avery is a very good friend of mine, um, someone we're always talking reptiles, of course. Uh, you probably have seen her in past like videos and Instagram stuff like that. We go up to all the experts together as well, and as many as I can get to, as many as she can get to. <laughs> um, and yeah, today we're gonna talk a little bit about her collection, but more so about the oscillated skinks. The oscillated skinks. So they're a very cool species. Um, I remember when you first got them, I was very very obsessed with them. Yes. Uh, we were there was a bit of a who was gonna get them first. It was a turf um, war. Yeah, it was a turf <laughs> war. Um, I'm very happy you got them. We managed to breed them, first of all, let me say that. Um, but we'll dive into them. Before we get there, can you let everyone know how did you originally get into reptile keeping? So, and how long ago? <laughs> so it started, I've been going to Critter Jungle for years. Over Way before 10, you were working there? Uh, 14 years now. Okay, and how I've long have you been working there? I've been there for just about four years this fall. Okay, so you were a customer there like 10 years before you even started. Yeah, okay, I, my cool. family knew their family through through schooling with some of the kids. And awesome. we found out about the store. And we've been going there ever since, basically. Awesome. And I started, I was first introduced to it through my sister, actually. My sister got her first reptile, which was a ball python. And How old were you? How old was I? Yeah. That was five years ago now, so I was 15. Okay. I was 15 and I fell in love, but not enough to actually pursue it. And then my sister told me about a Facebook job hiring ad. And so I applied and that was four years ago. And that's when I got my first reptile. It was three months after I started. You started there, awesome. Yeah, my first reptile was a lychee. And she was amazing and only the very first snowflake of the massive snowball that I now have. <laughs> I love how we all refer to it as snowballing once you start. It's it is like, snowballing just, it's because yeah. it's not just a, a continuous um, gradual roll. Like, it, it's... It's exponential. It keeps growing. Like yeah. it, it, with each step, you're way bigger than the last step. Hundred percent. And that's not just necessarily with collecting, but that's also with success and learning and exactly. everything. Yeah, hundred percent agreed. Okay, so Lichi was your first reptile. Yep. Where did it go from there? Uh, ball pythons, rat snakes, isopods, fish keeping. Um, I didn't venture off into amphibians at that point. Um, but it was mainly other geckos, mainly New Caledonian species, and um, various um, North American and mainly just North American snake species. 
Cool. Cool. And then now. Now. <laughs> like your current collection. Current. What are you currently keeping? Very little New Caledonian species. I only cool. have three. Um, the oscillated skinks. Yes. I have um, a few. Well, I have a, a dwarf gecko species. I have dwarf Cameroon geckos. Very and cool. um, a few amphibian species. I have uh, relatives of the um, hourglass frog, the San Carlos tree frog. Right. Um, as well as your typical white tree frogs, looking at progressing with those. Um, cool. And I am very excited to be able to hopefully start this fall with more glass frog species. Yes. So um, I have northerns, and that's pretty much it for now. I want powders and um, articulated and a few other species, but that's pretty much my focus in that. How similar to... Um, I've never kept uh, glass frogs. How similar to dart frogs are they? Or like to keeping dart frogs, how is that wise? To keeping? I believe they're more dry, right? They're, they're definitely more dry, more that they, they definitely creep up to the same humidity peaks, but it doesn't last that long. Um, and dart frogs don't have dry out periods like they do. They don't, okay. they don't go and lower than 65% or so at the lowest, um, but um, they're, they're kept pretty high, no, no more than like 90%. Cool. But, yeah, so with that, they're similar but different. Um, enclosure setup, you could do very similar setups, but you definitely need very large leafed plants. So like pothos yeah. and stuff, because they hang out on the bottom of them and they blend in. Yeah. Their translucent body is an effect to be able to create like a shadow underneath this leaf. So cool. it's a camouflage tactic. Um, but they can, they're so light that they can just grow on the, the like uh, explore the enclosure through the greenery. You don't necessarily need a crazy amount of hardscape. And you can also do that with dart frogs, depending on how you set it up in your various enclosures back here. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I do use, I do use a fair amount of cork, but not, but I do also let, plants kind of you know be the pathways and the tunnels and um, so I see, I see what you mean I see what you mean yeah and it's more like arboreal hardscape like climbing structures yeah that th they can live without for sure yeah spend the time in the trees right exactly okay awesome makes sense and okay was that was that all that I'm sorry I interrupted you as you were listing species was there anything um, else you're currently keeping I have um, some tarantulas um, I have a, a whip scorpion I have, um, I mean, your typical isopods and whatnot. I used to have a lot of mantids um, and tried breeding and that didn't go so well, but that's definitely not the end of my attempt for sure. Cool. Um, I'm working very, very hard at getting those ants. <laughs> I'm looking through it. I told you. It's all in Jen's hands now. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'll get you those ants. Don't worry. <laughs> but no, so ants are definitely another huge, huge point in my very near future okay, that's very um, cool. but what species of tarantulas I have um, Brazilian white knees I have uh, Mexican red knees and a few others that I'm still getting um, some friends input on first being able to tell what species it is I ordered <laughs> yeah it's Shane um, and I ordered some and uh, was trying to get a pair of 
Mexican red knees, and the other one is not a Mexican red knee. It's not? It's not. It looked like it in the sling, but it definitely isn't. So Shane said it's something with a, a heavier penny on it, but I still haven't gotten an actual name. So we'll see what that one ends up. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. You got that one at the Expos? Or you said you shipped it in? I didn't ship it in. Um, I got it from somebody local, but I drove um, further out east to get them. Very cool. I'm being like so slow putting the glass down <laughs> on the glass because every time I do it chinks the, the table or whatever. Um, cool. Okay. Shall we dive into what we're here for today? Yes. Of the course. beautiful oscillated skinks. Yes. Um, so I'll put a picture of them up probably and or I've been taking a lot of photos. I can send you some photos. <laughs> cool. Okay. So I, I want pictures of the adults and the babies, but just in yeah. case, because apparently I sometimes forget to do this. Um, Definitely Google them because they're a beautiful species, but mm -hmm. I'll try my best to remember to put up pictures. Um, where do we start from? Uh, natural history, like where they came from. And... Yeah, like where? Okay, so where are they originally from? Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Okay. <laughs> it right. feels like everywhere. Not so much naturally on our side of the pond, but um, okay. Mediterranean coast. So you're looking at uh, Pakistan, West Africa. Um, They're invasive in France now. <laughs> so they're invasive in a lot of places then? Uh, France and in the States. They're invasive in uh, Florida and they're Arizona. Invasive in Abu Dhabi as well. Right. Yeah. Yes. I remember you. Did you send me photos on your last trip? No, I didn't. I wasn't able no. to find them, no. I, I wanted to, but I wasn't able to find yeah. them. But, um, um, but yeah, all, all across that portion, anywhere near the Mediterranean Sea, really, that has drier landscapes. Very cool, mm -hmm. very cool, and they're majorly in the hobby by means of exporting, importing, importing, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah they're not, they're not like there's not many people captive breeding them around, right? There's a couple. It yeah. doesn't seem like there's anybody very serious though. Or like, yeah. So yeah, like anybody that's really trying to push them more. Okay. Um, there's definitely been a show of love for them by those people, but I haven't seen many people trying to push them a lot more. Um, but and that's what you're trying to do. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully there's with your help. I've learned more about them and learned more about my possibilities with them. It's it's like a. I hope it's a like an onion where there's just more surprises with them later. I'm sure there. Like, well, I'm not sure, but I I really think there will be, especially if we looked at pictures of just some different areas wild and ones. how they like. There's so yeah. much vari variety in the colors and, and the wild ones. So. Mm. Um, we need to source you some more, some more, yeah. you know, locales maybe or, exactly. or, or different color morphs or something and see, see yeah. what you can do with them. Yeah. Um, but they are, um, they're mainly from areas that, uh, they like to swim through, they're not sand swimmers, but they like to swim through sand and loose substrate and they live in like nooks and crannies and rocks and holes in the walls and things like that so is it more like sort of a deserty yeah kind of thing or more tropical? a lot of people keep them on sand okay so like their their temperatures are high they're very high their okay. their basking spots are 110 to 120 which is basically like the aromastics okay um minus the veggies and the humidity yeah their humidity is crazy so, so you need to keep the humidity high and, and heat, heat high. very high so how do you pull that off 
um, substrate that I've mixed. Um, there's about a third sand, a third wood mulch for aeration and the substrate for burrowing, and a third um, like plantation soil and husk and whatnot. That's probably a pretty thick layer in there? Uh, fairly. Like it yeah. slants from the front towards the back, but at the back it's at least four or five inches thick. Okay. And yeah, do they spend time under it? Yeah, uh, particularly the adults, the the babies, they typically only hang around in the first inch. I never find them deeper than that. And I only find them deeper than that whenever I'm digging through to do a, another head count to see if I have more babies. Yeah. And I find them going deeper and deeper, but naturally and where they're comfortable is normally around one inch. So I don't know if it has something to do with the heat, if going further down is too cold, um, but they, they don't. Mm dig like their parents do so okay you said going further down is too cold so then you're not using heat pads on them i have i do have a heat pad on them You do have heat pad on them. so i don't know i was just kind of spitballing i don't know if that has something to do with it um but i don't keep their heat pad very hot and it's not a very big one either it's only in one of the uh one of the caves oh, right so below where the, yeah. the the basking spot is i even have photos of the enclosure if you want to show yeah yeah um yeah. so i have like that slanted piece up towards the top that's where their basking spot is with some driftwood and other climbing structures around it and right underneath that big piece of cork is a hide and that's where the heat pad is so it's and it's way less than a third um of the the space is heat it's probably less than a quarter it's only a small one and that's where you find the the adults on that side I've or just everywhere? I've been finding the adults more on that side, which is interesting because I found them more frequently on the cool side whenever mom was giving birth. Oh, interesting. So, okay. Yeah, so I don't know what, what that has to do with it. I don't know if they typically take shelter in areas that don't get the hot sun where they'd be basking because they do bask. They don't just find hot spots. They they come out and they bask in the, the peak of the heat, which means that they need UVB as well. Okay. Um, but lately I've been seeing her on the warm side, so I don't know if she's developing anything, um, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if she was because it's been enough time since she gave birth. Speeding up the metabolism to... Exactly, she's been eating eat a more, shit. Yeah. Of, she's been eating a, a lot more. Um, but uh, yeah, so their, their setup's pretty, pretty simple. Okay. Lots of climbing structure, lots of burrowing space. They're not great at climbing, but they they do it as efficiently as they can. Why do you kind of see them fall off sometimes? <laughs> yeah, not so much the babies, although the babies love to climb. Yeah. A lot more than the adults do. And I don't know if it's because the babies are now captive. I guess captive hatched doesn't work in this sense because they're captive the Captive born. Captive born. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that has something to do with it. I'm in the room a lot more lately with it being towards the tail end of the breeding season for a lot of species. Um, but the adults are almost always covered. I almost never see them basking. So they're either choosing a time when I'm not there or they're not coming out as much as the babies. Maybe the babies need it more for the growth. There's a, a lot to know. Right, or maybe the babies are just out more often hunting. Possibly, I have flies in there all the time. Okay. They, they get flies at least two times a week. They get crickets twice a week. What size crickets? Uh, the sizes I put in there are quarter inch. Okay. Um, and I give some bigger ones for the adults. Okay. Because they don't typically go after the smaller ones, especially when they see the big three quarter inch around there. Okay. Um, no, sorry. Go ahead. 
No. Um, but yeah, so quarter inch and three quarter inch are the typical ones that, that I have in there, but the babies, um, any, like if you're ever getting crickets, you know, that you're never going to get only yeah, that size. Range, so yeah. You get a range. So the babies will typically try and take something that's as wide as its head and they will crocodile roll it and like roll figure eights with their heads to rip off pieces of the body to be able to eat this massive cricket that's as so big as they're them. eating the bigger ones they are that's they are they're savages that's hilarious uh, but so that means you're keeping them communally yeah so they're in the same tank as the adults yeah so so far i have seven babies and i have um one pair so i have a male and a female cool. and they've been doing well they were born weeks ago now i really should know this more but i think That's it was fair. like three weeks ago now that they were born or at least when i noticed them they could have been hanging around for a couple days without me being able to see them because they're so small okay. they come out very small the only thing you see is the tip of a tail running away so like pinky size smaller uh my pinkies are smaller than your pinkies but at like at least half the size of my pinkies are okay. super slender they don't get that sausage roll body that the adults have until much later so they come out very, very slender, and the bases of their tails are very wide, and their tails seem much longer in proportion from the adults, which I can tell a difference with, with sexing. Okay, so okay, so maybe we'll start. Okay, so how do you sex? How do you sex them? <laughs> which how do you yeah? How do you sex them? It's it's hard if you don't have two, or if you haven't seen multiple many many times. Okay. In like with personal experience and not just right. through photos but like seeing them with a, a physical ratio okay. um so i find that the female has a much wider base to her tail and it's a lot longer whereas the male's is um, a little bit more slender and shorter but it comes to more of a fat tip whereas the female's is very tapered um, as well as a very clear distinction between the jowliness of the male in comparison to the females. Like the head? Yeah, so like you can see their neck is meatier, mm -hmm. even though they look like they're all neck. Like, yeah. it's like Seriously. right at the very base towards the front of them. If you look from over top, you can see this big, big base of a jaw on the males, and the females look um, more rounded. Okay. So kind of more like a teardrop shape, whereas the male's more like a Dorito shape. You can see <laughs> okay. the distinction in the jaw. Um, but the the body size so far, I haven't noticed a difference. Um, but I also haven't had multiple adults in there for a very long time to be able to, to tell, yeah. um, especially since it took me so long to be able to sex them. Yeah, I figure, yeah, figure out what you have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about their setup for a minute. So... Um, we already talked about kind of how you have it set up, mm -hmm. deep substrate, lots of cork. Um, but what about like, and we and we discussed temperature as well. You told me you have in about 110, 120 hotspot. But first of all, what are you using to, to get to that hotspot? Right now I'm using a ceramic heat emitter. Okay. Um, it happened to be what I have, but I've been thinking about doing like a halogen or just a generalized, um, like a intense basking spot of some sort, like a, a light bulb. Um, and then I have um, a heat mat underneath that's okay. controlled through a thermostat. Okay, and you have the heat mat, I assume, is on 24-7. What about the ceramic heat emitter? Only on during the day so okay. that they can get those really high humidity spikes at night. Okay, interesting. And then you have the, the tank on Miskania. Yeah. 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 And so how often are you kind of spraying? I know it's hard to kind of gauge 
we are in Canada. It's mm -hmm. very dry here, so obviously when you're misting, you know, go by how you are. But also very humid in the summer. It's but also very, yeah, it's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's kind of a hard... Uh, and we have light switch yeah. season. It's, it changes so fast, so you won't even right. know you're draining your t uh, drowning your tanks. and. I have to yeah. um, adjust all the mistings over summer and winter, depending mm -hmm. on, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you have a misting, and so how often kind of are you spraying it? Um, at least three, four times a day. Okay. Um, so but it dries out nicely because of the heat. Mm -hmm. So it's two very short sprays at night okay. and basically one right in the middle of the night and one right before um, the lights turn the on. The sun goes off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so overnight is a much longer spray. So it's not quite a minute. It's probably about 45, 50 seconds. Okay. Um, that's at night. Oh, so the longer ones are at night. night. Longer ones are at night, and I put the shorter ones during the day, but there's more of them. Okay. So the it, I could be spraying it forever and ever and ever, and that heat's just going to dry it right out. Yeah. So rather than dumping a bunch of water into their tank, and it kind of affects their, their substrate because it doesn't rain overly frequently where they normally come from. It's just ambient humidity because they're right next to the sea. Yeah. Um, so... I try to just do quick bursts more frequently during the day so that they get their bursts of humidity and try to keep it up as much as I can, at least on the cool side. Okay. Um, but overnight, it stays humid throughout the whole night. Awesome. And you are using a UVB on them? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which one? I'm using um, the Reptisan T5 um, by Zoomed. 10.0? I, I've bounced back and forth. I've been keeping the 10.0 on since I'm... Uh, since, found, since I found out that they were breeding, but I started with a 5.0 and I want to see if it makes any difference because there's a little bit of conflicting information from what I've been reading. Um, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people um, on the other side of the world that are keeping them and I can't gather as much information as what I would like to. Different languages? Different languages yeah, and translation problem. problems. Yeah, I've had this problem. Yeah, yeah so... It's, 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 it's tough because... They really have so much information. They do. And then when you're using using Google Translate or something, half of what comes out doesn't even make sense. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but unfortunately, we'll, we'll hopefully somehow figure out. And reptiles have their like the way that reptile keepers talk have their own language too, right? So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm sh I'm sure it's different. Like with how I don't know if there's uh, differences with like how different cultures do it, but that's there probably is. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah. So. Um, I was doing the 5.0 and now I've been doing the 10 and I'm going to be doing some uh, obviously harmless experiments with some of the babies seeing if there's any difference with the 5.0 the 10.0 with their activity their their appetite um, their colorations yeah. their growth rate and anything of the sort um, sure. see if any of them respond to better like not better necessarily just more intense supplementation um, versus just very basic that you would typically get with a standard pet owner. Okay. Um, so I've been, I've been playing around, and we'll see how it turns out on the babies, and hopefully yeah. their future babies to come. Yeah, that's very cool. You have to come back once once you have some results from those tests and let us know and, what you find out. And more bloodlines. And more bloodlines. Yes. Bloodlines and hopefully appearances. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Hundred percent. Um, awesome. Okay. And then earlier you also mentioned that some people are keeping them on sand. 
Yeah. What are what are other substrates that people are keeping them on? Like, is it just sand or the mix you made, or like, what are some other options or some other things that people are doing? I feel like there are two very distinct groups that I've been seeing because regular pet owners don't just post their like their one-off skin, no, right? Of course, yeah. Um, and if they do, it's it's not popping up because I'm in a very different algorithm than that. Um, but there's two groups, and one of them is breeding for numbers, quantity, and um, taking that as higher success. And there's other people that are um, wanting to replicate as much of their natural right. habitat as possible. Yeah, not yet. And sure. so there's there's different mixes, and I find that the people that are um, making a setup for breeding are just using sand, and other people that are wanting to have more to look at in the enclosure, like you did with the emerald tree skinks, yeah, um, is having a mix of um, like dried out plantation soil um, and chunky medias to help mix in because they don't just come straight from sand because they get a, a very, very wide variety of range on the map with where they're located. Of course, yeah. Um, so um, you can do sand with plantation soil. Um, I use wood mulch as part of that, which was part of like a, an arid tarantula mix that I had. Okay. Um, so, and they seem to love it, especially the babies. They like really camping out underneath those big chunky pieces of wood in the substrate. Do you use any leaf litter? I do. Yeah. Um, they mess it up yeah. all the time, but it gets mixed in. It's yeah. just more mediums for them to play with. It's more enrichment, more, more hiding spaces, more aeration of substrate. There's many different things that it prevents. Awesome. Very, very cool. What about their diet? <laughs> diet. What are you okay. feeding them? Yeah. Um, they are primarily um, insectivores, so a lot of protein. Um, they do get very low amounts of vegetation, and it's normally greenery vegetation rather than berries and fruit and veggies and whatnot. Okay. Um, so um, I do... I was kind of going into it earlier. Yeah, I do you, a very... crickets, but do you feed anything other than crickets? Yeah, so there's the crickets and the flies I do twice a week, and then the remainder of the week I do, um, I make sure at least every day there's something in their bowl. So mm -hmm. some days I don't add in any sort of moving, hunting insects, and I just put in um, like waxworms, butterworms, black swords fly larvae, they right. absolutely love. I've been trying to find smaller BSFL for the babies. My emerald tree skins won't take them. Really? I'm not sure. They take butterworms, they take waxworms, they take silkworms, but they won't take the black swords of flyover. Just think they're not moving enough for them. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe because of the heat. Like, I know their heat is higher up, um, but the heat gets them moving a lot more. That would be an interesting experiment. Put the feeding plate closer to the heat mm -hmm. source, maybe? Yeah, I could give that a Because they, they wiggle a lot under the heat. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so they devour those. Um, anytime we get really small silkworms or really tiny hornworms from... Uh, from the store then I bring some of them home with the babies it's a little bit harder because I know that they're gonna try and I don't want them choking on anything right so I've just been sticking to smaller insects that I can be a little bit more that typically come in smaller than what a tiny little silkworm would be we don't get those very often awesome. um, I also do all of that is typically live um, but for non-live food I do rapashi I do a lot of rapashi actually it's typically mixed in with their worms as well awesome. and then I have at least one day where it's just the rapashi and nothing else because whenever I sell them off I want something easy that's available for those people who's getting them yeah. and it's a great food what's what, which rapashis are you using I'm I'm mainly using 
two, which I guess two could extend to five because there's the grub pies and how they have the different protein yeah, specific right. grub yeah, pies. Yeah, the so grasshopper, like, the mealworm, the superworm. Exactly, yeah. and then the original one is BSFL, yeah. um, which I'm more keen to because they're higher protein, higher right. calcium, yeah. um, but the grasshopper pie is really interesting and they like that one a lot. I find there's more moisture in it than than the other ones too. It also stinks more than the other it ones. Stinks. <laughs> it stinks, it yeah. stinks. Um, and then I do some blue buffet as well so that they get their veggies in. I find that the veggies in, if I tossed in any veggies, they almost never went at it. Like the first time I put it in, there was a mouth or two missing, like mouthful, and you could see it distinctively like in a, the actual leaf. Bite of, yeah. It looked like a caterpillar bite. Okay. And they didn't eat anything else after that. Okay. Um, so they eat the blue buffet, so that's just how I get a very small amount of veggies into them. But it's not by much. Okay. And have you ever tried any other, um, I don't know how similar they are to like blue tongue stains or something, but I've seen people feeding blue tongue stains like uh, eggs and um, dog food and cat mm -hmm. food. Have you ever tried any of that stuff? They love scrambled eggs mm -hmm. so much. They really, really do. Um, and it's really funny watching the babies eat them too because it's soft so it's almost like it's kind of like a kid getting peanut butter stuck in their teeth okay, yeah. uh, or a dog eating peanut butter and not being able to to get it through yeah. um, so they have these big gaping mouthfuls and they're trying to like shovel it in um, but I have tried dog food and cat food mainly because they're more insectivorous than the than other skink species like blue tongue skinks and um, Gidgees are more on the insect side, but um, yeah, so like more dog food will have a higher veggie content or fruit content and than the cat food. Than the cat food, the cats are more carnivorous. So you prefer the cat food for that reason? For them specifically, yeah. Um, so anything that has like shredded stuff in it, um, the broth they'll lick at, so they get a lot of hydration through that as well. Um, but it's basically like very simple shredded chicken. I do a lot of poultry and fish rather than the more heavy meats like the red meat okay. um, they've had some rabbit that they've loved okay. which is really interesting but yeah it's it's been and how often do you got like is it more of like a treat thing or is it, is it part of the I gave it to them a couple times as adults um, before I knew that they were breeding and a little bit more frequently now that mom has to be keeping yeah. up with her diet right. because of the babies and if she decides or I guess it's not really her decision. Um, if they happen to continue breeding, um, then I need to keep her protein and food content up a lot more than if she wasn't. So I anticipate experimenting <laughs> with that a little bit more. She wants to join the episode. I, clearly, well, it's a skink episode. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Here, come around. Let's see that. Coming. This is one of my emerald tree skinks. Um, for the people watching, for the people listening, my emerald tree skink female just tried to come out of her tank, so we pulled her out. Um, okay. She's running around the neighbor's hands. And yeah, um, so <laughs> while we have her out, um, let's drive into. Oh, yeah, let's talk about. Yeah, that's that's a great. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. so are, are they um, are they handleable at all? So the emerald tree skinks, as you guys can see, or maybe can't see, they. I don't feel like they're actually handleable. It's more of you kind of just have to let them run around on you. Um, and kind of control the direction they're it's going. It's going in. with their wave. It's yeah. Not your Whereas, like, uh, blue tongue skinks, I've seen people kind of like 
put them on their lap and chill or like kind of like a bearded dragon or something they're like you know old dogs and cats they're very chill they feel like a lot like a beardy in that sense where they can just chill and sometimes they're more active the blue tongue skink yeah okay. yeah specifically yeah so what about what about your guys what about the oscillated skinks they are fast and like a wet bar of soap yeah you can't they, go like imagine trying like to grab guy. her yeah it's like their scales are so they're armored shields yeah they, and they're yeah. so slippery very different than geckos very very different and they are a lot more curious and i can tell a lot of the time when they're running around it's out of curiosity and not fear yeah but i do find that they're jumpy so if i'm walking in front of a tank the babies are a lot better than the parents because I've been handling them a lot more than what I was with the parents because they were wild caught. They were already adults when I got them. Yeah. But the babies, they have, I can manipulate them so much more into having better personalities, which could potentially and hopefully turn into a genetic trait onto their babies. Yeah, I wonder, I, I've always been curious to see how that works. I've tested it out with uh, Cresties in the past, but mm -hmm. I have never been able to actually prove that. I will say that some, well, some of my um finicky not finicky but like some of my more spazzy babies mm -hmm. had spazzier adults like as like parents. parents yeah interesting um, but I, I don't think there i don't know if there was ever really a correlation i feel um, like it'll be very easy to tell with these guys, with these guys because yeah. they're like they're wild caught yeah. you don't if you find captive bred ones you're asking somebody who you know is breeding them you're not going to find them in a pet store at least not yeah. here not yeah it's very weird not yeah. yet yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah. They're invasive in the States. There's only so much that you can do without, like, if you have them so readily available as wild caught, then why would that's, that's you the, breed them? Exactly. They're cheaper. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Um, but they, their personalities have shone through a lot more. So I feel like yeah. it's kind of like the babies, the, the adults, adults a little bit okay. more. Um, the babies have always had a crazy amount of personality, and that's because since day one that I found out about them, I was taking them out. I do okay. checks on every single one that I could find multiple times a day, constantly going into their tank, te checking temps more because I know that she's breeding, um, checking the humidity more, just doing, now that it's more on my radar and I'm seeing that they're breeding, I want to see what it is that they're breeding because of. I want to make sure that I keep their current levels the same because obviously what i'm doing is working yeah um so there's just a lot more attention on them now okay so that's that's good so you said when you found the babies so mm -hmm. you never um you didn't know well first of all are they live bears or do they uh, lay eggs they're live bears yeah so a lot of skink species are actually live bears a lot of the only reptilian species are skinks that are live bears yeah um but they um they have a gestation period, I guess would be appropriate, gestation period of about two to three months. And, and you didn't know that it was happening? Not at all. Wow. Yeah, so like I barely ever saw them. Like right. I got them and I was more, I was hoping, I was more excited for what they could offer me than what they already were. Okay. So getting the babies, being able to, to bring captive bread more handleable like yeah. these guys were never viewed as handleable and they've yeah. all of a sudden started booming on the market and everybody's looking for because them. they are more handleable they're now. more handleable yeah. now and it's just from people or person who was overly dedicated into making that happen yeah 100 um but um but still i wouldn't yeah see what i mean like handleable on her terms 
if she goes where she animal. wants to go yeah you know like it's not kind of like an animal where like the mountain or dragons i'll pick it up and plop it wherever i want to and they're not moving. and they're not moving <laughs> like no. Um, I have them on the on the laptop while I'm editing, and they don't yeah. move, you know. No. But um, with her, she's constantly on the move. Ball python. Ball and python a corn and a corn snake, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good way to. One's yeah. a pet rock. One definitely has. I feel like it. Always on the move. It stems from attitude. I feel. She is very sassy. She's demanding. Like she wants to be a part of the part of the podcast. Like she's this. Very demanding. Um, we already mentioned this a few times, but they are life bearers. Yes. Yes. Yes, they are life bearers, and there's been a few, like, from forums and stuff where there's people not necessarily broadcasting their success, but um, interchanging knowledge for those who are asking questions. And they're posting photos and updates on how frequently their females are giving birth, the period of in between, and um, how long it takes for those babies to become allegedly sexually mature it could be sooner than that and they just decided not to do anything about it yeah yeah, um and obviously like with any species we've learned it's also dependent on the animal individually right so i don't think and location and everything yeah exactly and husbandry and everything else in between um but they typically will have periods of two to three months in between each birth awesome and how many babies roughly are you getting some some websites are saying up to a dozen some of them are saying up to eight or ten and in it could not be her first rodeo yeah but at least it's my first with her and yeah. mom has given me seven on was it all in one gig one, one go one go i they all when i first saw them were all the exact same size and they were all so tiny okay. so so tiny so i'm in I'm guessing that they were only a couple days old at most because they definitely weren't a week because I saw how quickly they were gaining weight and how quickly they were getting that big. And I've seen photos of newborns and just kind of put two and two together. Um, But I don't know, like Gigi skinks, they will typically, especially with their first few goes of breeding, they'll have sometimes a few days in between they give birth to let's say two three four babies yeah and so it'll take time but i don't know if these guys are spreading it out or if she just pops them all Uh, out in one go in in one labor session i guess you could call it probably what i assume i think that's how how, um or how i've seen other live birth reptiles Mm -hmm. i think do it um that's very interesting you can also relate it to fish in that sense too sometimes right like with some species that been yeah peacock gudgeons, they'll just all their eggs come out of one go yeah. exactly so i don't know if it's based on their um their age or um their experience breeding or, exactly yeah. if their body is ready and prepared for something that they haven't done before and sometimes it might stretch out the period maybe they'll become more efficient with more breeding that's all stuff i have yet to know and well, hopefully learn the answers too. And hopefully give everybody else information too. Oh, some. Not yeah. all of it. I'd yeah. like to keep some little <laughs> things up my arms. <laughs> keep my secrets to myself. Okay, so your house is in community. Yeah. Um, first of all, how big of a setup are they in? Right now they're in a 36, 18, 12. 
I originally had a 36 18 18 for them and it did not fit on my shelf, shelf. <laughs> so Derek and problems. I yeah Derek and I swapped tanks because Corin has the extra height but I do want to get them the extra height because they use it okay they really do so I try to give them as much as I can in their enclosure and honestly I could probably give them more um, of climbing and branching and more driftwood and uh, jungle gems to give them awesome um, they have an aloe vera plant in there that the babies utilize as another basking spot that's adorable um, but um, yeah cool so, okay so if you had like uh, just the one like what like uh, not to put a minimum requirement or anything but like what's the minimum requirement for housing one a 20 long would be fine like a, a okay. 30 by 12 yeah because um, they use the space right they're they not do. too big but they use the space no like they're the main part of the body is probably about four inches and their tail is at least that length um, unless there was some sort of issue my male has a regrown tail and i don't think it's as long as what it's supposed to be which yes. is also part of the reason why it was hard to sex, sex them, them yeah. because i knew he had a regrown tail and everybody knows that regrowns don't grow back the way that they normally would sometimes they're shorter sometimes, sometimes they're fatter mm -hmm. patterns aren't the same texture and the scales are you different. kind of see the breakup when you look at the exactly. male too yeah yeah it's like one monotone color now rather than having that pattern that right. they have on the distinctly um original piece of his tail awesome. um but yeah like a 20 long would be more than enough it gives them 12 inches of height 10 to 12 inches of height for um for your substrate and for climbing structure yeah. Yeah. Um, and I find climbing structure is even more necessary when you have multiples because then it provides an, a real amount of territorial space because it's okay. not just burrowing, they do climb. So it's giving them ample spot. You're not just looking at their burrowing space, you're looking at their climbing space and it's not just a hiding spot, it's, it's a break. It's like yeah. family. Yeah. You need a break from yeah. family every once in a while. Fair, fair. Um, so you don't necessarily need to be hiding, but they it does break tension. Okay, so is is there ever any like we said they're communal earlier, is there any any ever any problems with like um like housing, you know, like for for example, some people say female crest geckos can be housed together but not males. Um, right. is there anything like that? Is it sort of the same thing? Is it I haven't done it myself, so okay. I haven't spoke from personal experience, but from forums and stuff, from what I've been hearing from others who keep them, um, they find that males are typically more aggressive towards each other, and females are if you have one male in there. So it's it would be interesting to see the difference between males, uh, females just on their own versus having a group of females yeah, and one male, yeah. because they get they're very excited about breeding. So okay. they get very um, aggressive and um, uh, competitive with each other and jealous if the male's choosing one over the other and they have like specific um, uh, body language signs. And this happens with um, adults and babies too, which also ties into their size, which is why it's even harder to be able to sex them because there isn't a size differentiation between the males and the females. It's a social hierarchy. Okay. So you can have a massive female and a small male, and that male is the preferred male in the colony, but that female owns the house. Yeah. And she's much bigger. She gives all the babies crap, and it's it's a very socially based group. So when you have 
um, two females crossing each other during breeding season and they're having some turf war problems or babies are getting a little bit too confident in mums or aunt's space or whatever the relation is. They There's a bodily stance that they perform. They hike their front arms up so that they push their shoulders up as high as they can. Okay. And they tilt, they stand uh, perpendicular to each other. So you'll have your more dominant one looking at the side of the body of the more submissive one. And so the submissive one is standing up on his friend's legs and its head is pointed down towards the ground and kind of tilted away from the more dominant one. And so sometimes it's mum with the baby, sometimes it's um, female on female, the more predominant breeding female versus some others that haven't got as much attention. It's very complicated. Um, so I'm interested to see the difference between having a pair with success in breeding and having a full colony of ready to breed mature females and a male or multiple males and see how it goes. But um, I would say my biggest warning is don't keep two males together unless you're prepared to be able to separate them. But it would be um, worth a shot to have multiple, multiple females. You just have to sex them. Yeah. It's interesting to, to think of if, if she's kind of pushing away the females every time the male, the, or the dominant females pushing away the other females every time the male is coming to breed, then they may be sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Monogamous? Yeah, maybe like they're, they're pairing up for life and that's it. So maybe even if you had multiple females, they, you may still only get uh, babies from one female. It would be interesting to see. I haven't read anything saying that they lean more one way towards the other. Yeah. I feel it's more of a jealousy act and it's kind of like a group of school kids mm -hmm. and it's, mm -hmm. there's different cliques and there's different um, <laughs> preferred groups, right? So um, it'd be interesting. Um, I don't think that's the case, but I would just have to toss in another female and see see how that would go. Okay, so, you, so you're learning a lot of this on your own. What are some things what are some things you've learned on your, your path to learn on your own that you couldn't really find online if there are any? A lot. A lot, okay. A lot. Um, um, so there that bodily stance I first learned from Rupted Vials, which is one of the more, go to yeah, one of the um, more available sources up there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So they have a lot of information. She has her her social media page that posts about them frequently enough. And that's where I found a lot of love for them was from those personal moments, not like an article or a research paper. Right. It's you see up and close their personality, yeah, 100%, right? 100%. Yeah. Um, but she posted about that bodily stance and I started to see it as the babies got older with baby and mum, especially around the food bowl. Um, kind of putting them in their place. Exactly. So it's kind of like cichlids will, will teach their babies or keeping a male better with the babies and that yeah. kind of helps with their temperament. Same sort of idea, at least I, I think, could be happening. Um, so it'll also be interesting to see how that comes out with their confidence and their... their um, ability to be handleable right. to see the if difference the between yeah. mother risen or just babies on their own. Yeah. Keeping their humidity up was insane. Their water dish was always drying yeah. out. The substrate, I would try and hydrate it. They weren't burrowing and they weren't eating as much. I don't know if because they felt insecure because they weren't stressed able, out. Yeah. Stressed out because they weren't able to go to their automatic um, just uh, hiding spot right, it's right yeah exactly so 
Um, a few of them stopped also eating because it became very, very competitive. Um, and if I didn't have my missing system, which I didn't at the beginning when it happened because I had just moved and I hadn't right, set it up, and everybody knows moving with 50, 60 plus tanks is tough, yeah. hard, especially when you have two hobbyists in the same house. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it was hectic. Try and spray them down all the time and keep 100% humidity overnight was insane. And it was a huge personal growth thing for myself, but also a learning curve with them. It's very necessary. I, I feel like there's a reason why they've only been... Um, invasive in the spots that they are because and that, very high humidity spots yeah 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 so it's something that's very important to them. exactly and that that was hard and all the information told me that out there but they did not express the insane need for it okay. so it just shows you how much more difficult they are but in a way they're also easy once you know what you need yeah so that's very very cool yeah. um okay and then so you already talked about you bringing hopefully working on getting some more imports in from yeah. different lines what are some of your i don't know if we can use the word plans what are some of your breeding hopes hopes with goals. those imports yeah um establishing some sort of morph and it could be a far far-fetched goal it could be i don't very think it reasonable. is it's it's Go exciting. listen to the episode with Billy Hunt, Uwabami Reptiles. Um, he talks about natural, uh, selective breeding. Yeah. And um, it's he, like, he, he says in the episode, he thinks every single animal can be uh, selectively bred as long as there's different color lines and all that. I think it's very possible, which we already looked it up. And well, they hold some sort of genes. Exactly. So, right? so you must be able to pull them from something and apply them elsewhere. Just keep on um, breeding them. Yeah. So. Um, I mentioned earlier that I saw in an article of a photo of one that was almost completely black. Right. And I've been seeing a lot of very different ones, so from very, very light to solid black. Are you seeing any differences in your babies? Sorry to cut you off. No, that's all right. Um, well, babies as a whole are kind of hard, um, especially with them and kind of like the dwarf kangaroos that you and I both have. Um, the Change colors to grow? their tails the juveniles have okay. green tails interesting and then they lose that as they get older and they lose that as they get older okay and the ones that have been getting bigger and getting more food grew out of that faster and so i don't think it has something to do with age i think it has something to do with size and the okay. density of their scales and whatnot i could be wrong but so far that's the information i've gathered cool um so the babies all seem to have the same general color except for two of the babies, which happen to be two of the smaller ones, they have, um, and they always have had, a much darker black line on the side of their jaw. Cool. Um, whereas the other ones have been a lot more speckled, not as solid and distinct. Um, there's a, a clear separation line in so the pattern of the So those two are the holdbacks then? Hopefully, <laughs> if they're not just males. Even yeah. if they're just males, we'll see if I can find females out there. Again, claiming yeah. wild-caught, fully-grown animals are up. It's easy to find hard to sex if you only have the one sex available. Hard to sex and hard to make sure that they're going to be healthy it. and going to make it and going to live a long life. I mean, you know, you've been sure. living through that with your dragon. Yeah, it's exactly. Hard. It's tough. No, 100%. Um, okay, so there's one more cool thing that you actually sent me a picture of mm -hmm. that we haven't spoken about today. Um, we already spoke about sexing the adults. 
Yes. But you figured out something really cool about sexing the babies, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so I saw a quick glimpse of a photo somewhere on the internet of okay. um, somebody candling, shining a, a flashlight through the back of the, the base of the tail right above the bent, the vent right on the side of the, the tail, not towards the hips. And so their hemipenes are kind of set back a little bit further, kind of like a beardy is. Um, and they were candling them, and I guess candling is the right yeah, word for that. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, so they were shining a light through, and you could see a shadow of hemipenes on the males, but they were very young doobies. They were less than three months old. Okay. Um, so they, you could see, it's, it's hard because the shadows, you almost feel like they aren't there enough. And so once they are finally more developed their scales have become so dense and so thick that you can't see through that it. you can't see through it to see anything through my my adults i tried i really tried because i was trying to sex them any way possible because i couldn't figure out a physical dimorphism between the two so i was trying to candle them and to get any sort of light shine through i had to go through the sides of their tails and even then not and even then it was like less than a quarter that was lit up in their tail so I couldn't see anything, uh, and you can't feel anything. And now I feel like I can read them like the back of my hand. That's awesome. Um, and hopefully that's the same for others, but we'll see. Um, maybe I got my guys young, and now they've okay. finally like bulked out, and the hierarchy is kind of settled out. Because with a lot of species, the less dominant males will not show very dominant yep. male yep. traits, right? So. Um, lots and lots and lots to learn, but um, yeah. So I have been checking at least once a week. So with you all just of my hold babies. them up and you candle them and, and you see the shape. I'll, I'll yeah. I'll make sure to put a picture of this one. But yeah. Yeah. So I I've taken photos of the the base of their tail right above their vent, and you can see two shadows of a hemipene or two hemipenes. And with the females, there's nothing. So I. I've only got that so far with my biggest baby and with the second largest if it's a male it's a slow grower but so far I can't see any shadows and they're very similar in size but you can tell a bit of a beefiness on their bellies so more likely the second one's a female then hopefully okay I am really hoping my plan is to be able to separate the males hold one male back from this and have him breed to a wild caught female, female yeah. and then to keep the females from the ones that I have now and get a wild caught male for them. Um, so we'll see and hopefully if I have multiple females to choose from that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but if I can start right away with being able to separate the ones based on pattern and if I can get any um, imports and wild caught individuals that share similar features like uh, physical features in their um in their patterns and their colors and whatnot then hopefully hopefully be able to start getting darker lines in there yeah everybody was crazy crazing about the the light morphs that were coming out with everything and my heart kind of cheesy but it's been in the shadows like i love those the, the darker those, animals yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the same way yeah i have this prize Cresty of mine that's been a fan favorite of of everybody that's at CJ. It was kind of like a 
Jack in the Box, he did not look like he was gonna be like that. He looked like he was gonna be brown and like a dull gray, and he's velvet black. He's gorgeous. And I've seen it's true. And I hope, I really, really, really hope that I can get something like that out of the sticks. It'd be yeah, incredible. Yeah, but even if you went the other way, it would still be very cool. To it be would honest. be like, even and, a very, very light colored. Um, yeah, would and be some awesome. of them, some of the babies have less peppering, like the peppered yeah. marks yeah. on them than some of the others. So if you could kind of take that away, Make that a would also stick. be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be awesome. That's a lot of very, very cool information on them. Mm -hmm. um, I do have one final question for you. Yeah. All in all, like after everything we just talked about, would you recommend them? as a pet and if yes are you recommending them more sort of as like a beginner pet more of like to the advanced keepers or like don't get them they're not the best reptile to own i feel they are amazing creatures okay they're incredible okay they have so many layers so much attitude so much personality Love that. and they're very curious um I feel like it's it's upsetting that they're not in the hobby more. That they were not I more feel like it'd be amazing in people's homes, okay. um, especially busy homes that they could slowly become acclimatized. You get, get used to, to people moving around. And yeah, yeah. Um, like a store environment. We've had so many animals that have come out of their shell like that last year. Mastics we had exactly. yeah, and to. went to an amazing home, mm -hmm. and that's what I hope for these guys. Um, I feel like. The question of level of, of experience is more irrelevant because so long as you have the information, I feel like anybody can do it. I feel like it's more the determination right. and the the level of drive that a person has. And taking, I mean, like paying attention to detail and exactly. taking the time out of the day to like put in the work with them, right? Exactly. Yeah. I don't feel it's experience. I feel it's based on the individual and well that just their determination and their so you think even a beginner keeper even a beginner keeper could keep them easily from, yeah if they had the drive like it's been kind of a running joke teaching the next generation right, right yeah my sister who got me into this hobby by wanting a snake yeah. and here i am like she has unbelievable potential and with her drive she's she has a ball python and a crusty yeah. And I feel like she could breed these guys. Yeah. She has the drive. She has the heart and the mind. And I feel like part of it is a competitiveness. Yeah. And, and you gotta outdo my sister. Yeah, yeah. our whole family's that way. Yeah. My, my dad, oh, my mom too. <laughs> God, <laughs> we're, we're riddled with that with from both sides. But it, I don't think it matters how old you are. I think it's... Being able to get the things that they need, and not everybody has a pet store that has everything that you'd need for your mastics or for these yeah. guys or for chameleons to be able to set them up properly. Um, I feel like if you have that available and you have the heart and the drive, you could do so much with them. Yeah. So much. I, I absolutely, I mean, I actually, um, I actually watched them for Avery for a couple of weeks while you were moving yeah. and I really, really did enjoy them. And um, whenever you're ready to let go of some of those babies, <laughs> let me know. Let me know. I, yeah. I, I definitely see them. I see myself keeping them in the future as well. They're a very cool species. They are amazing. They were definitely a surprise. I never thought 
I'd ever get into stink species, you asking me, okay, Avery, it's time to focus. <laughs> what are you focusing on? They never would have been on my list. Yeah. And now I can't even imagine my list without them. And now they're your like, biggest focus. They're, they're going to be my, hopefully my biggest focus, but I still love those glass frogs. Yeah. yeah I still fair, love those fair. glass frogs. And the whites, your favorite. And the whites. Those guys. I like the ones with attitude and challenge, apparently. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, it, it makes the keeping more fun. It makes the hobby more fun. You know, it does. And when you have other people that are on the same level as you and have the same sort of desire and uh, self-motivation, you guys just egg each other on. Agreed. I've Agreed. dived in very quickly because of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah, um, the Critter Jungle family is... Um, toxically lovely <laughs> <laughs> exactly we're all we're all always like should i get this and everyone's like yeah um uh, but no sometimes but, the mom in there being the like uh, <laughs> maybe but, not but no but honestly it's, it's not just it's not just that it's more it's it's more it's the community right uh, we spoke about this on another episode a couple weeks ago with jen and theo actually it's the community of having all these reptile keepers in such a small area and everybody sharing information everybody sharing each other's help um we, we, it was a blackout episode that we filmed. Yeah. Um, so Jen was kind of talking about when all the lights went off, everyone immediately hit their phones like, yo, exactly. who's good? Who needs what? Like, I can keep reptiles here. I can, I can, you know, uh, all that. So, so no, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it's a family. It's a family. It's a community. It's, it's, it pushes you. It makes everybody a better keeper. Um, which is why actually, if you're, if your area does have a reptile club or anything like that, uh, I highly recommend you go check them out. It's, it brings forward opportunities and knowledge and, well, focuses that you never thought that you'd yeah. ever be interested in, right? Exactly. That's about all the questions I had for you. Um, so first of all, thank you very, very much for coming on. No problem. Thank um, you for having me. I've been counting down the days. Yeah, yeah. I've been very excited <laughs> for this episode as well. Um, you will also definitely be seeing Avery once again very, very soon. Um, Avery, can you let everyone know where they can find you? Well, I am mainly on Instagram. I my Instagram handle is the Reptile Bin. Bit of a play on my last name there in my favor. Um, but mainly Instagram. Who knows? You'll probably see me more on Daffy's channel and Bird Eyes Herping channel. Definitely. I know he's kind of uh, dipped in some introductions to his upcoming his channel, upcoming YouTube yeah. channel. So I'm sure I'll be in there. But mainly my my personal is Instagram. Awesome, and I'll have that in the show notes and just on a quick on the topic of community we've mentioned this many many times before um but yeah if you don't have a reptile club in your area find your local uh, reptile store if you're in ottawa we're both always a critter jungle come down come join part of our community our little family and also on that note we're both as i've said twice on two episodes now but it's kind of coming up it's getting much closer we're both going to be at the crbe uh, september 17 18 uh, the Canadian Reptile Breeder Expo. It's also going to be the uh, Canadian Aquatic Expo and the Pet Expo that weekend. It'll be huge. And apparently, Pijak is happening that same weekend in. Pijak is happening in, that in the same, same city. Weekend. So it's going to be a city filled with crazy animal lovers. It's going to be a lot of fun. Come find us. Come say hi. Um, it's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, so Avery, thank you once again for coming no on. Problem. Everyone, please go follow Avery on the Reptile Bin. Um, Shout out to Exoterra once again for sponsoring this episode. And I am Daffy's Reptiles on all social media platforms and Daffy's Roundtable for the podcast. 
Thank you all for listening and we will see you on the next one.